The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. It's uh, really great to uh, be with you here this evening, and I know Brother Chris probably doesn't know how much of a supernatural thing it is for David Wise to be standing up here. Uh, I had a chance this weekend, had a great time yesterday hanging out with three of my college friends, uh, all of which I lived with at different times during college, and um, all of them knew the 18-year-old David. None of y'all did. Um, and they were with me when I was going through speech class as a college freshman. <laughs> And uh, except for heights, public speaking is my big, biggest fear. <laughs> and that's the guy that God saw fit to that's choose right. to call to preach. That's, right. that's what he does. That, that's what he does. Right. And, uh, and it was just really funny reminiscing with them because they remembered me preparing for my speeches as an 18-year-old. And uh, knowing that I'm, uh, of course, speaking in front of people is not really what's so terrifying about this position. That's right. That's it's right. that we're entrusted right. with Amen. the mysteries of God. Amen. Um, and I hope the Lord will bless us Amen. tonight. Well, I'd like to go to Job chapter 9. And I would also like to say it's very encouraging the songs that were selected for what I would like to consider today, tonight because if you look at the words in those songs... Really, I couldn't have preached a better introduction to the message that I'd like to consider tonight. Job chapter 9, I want to read verses 27 to 33. If I say I will forget my complaint, I will leave off my heaviness and comfort myself. I am afraid of all my sorrows. I know that thou wilt not hold me innocent. But if I be wicked, why then labor I in vain? If I wash myself with snow water and make my hands never so clean, yet shalt thou plunge me in the ditch, and mine own eyes shall abhor me. He is not a man, as I am, that I should answer him, and we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that he might lay his hand upon us both. Verse 33 is essentially the climax of this chapter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Job is searching for a daysman. He's searching for someone to bridge the gap between God and man. And honestly, I'm going to open up. I'm sure most of y'all have probably pegged that this is in association with number three, the Songs of Zion book. And we'll look at that uh, hopefully later. But honestly... It was that song, and I believe Brother Tim was at least, at least you're attributed as being involved in uh, composing that song. But I knew I'd heard that word before, but I didn't know where. And then I studied this out, and this is the only place in the Bible that the word daysman is presented. That's right. And Job is searching for a means to be just before God, he's searching for some form of reconciliation before a guy that he knows that he's offended. And what's so discouraging about Job's perspective is that he doesn't know what we know today. Right. He's searching for a daysman, but right. he doesn't know how that happened. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't right. know how God 
how God became a man. Right. See, he's searching for, he knows that God is not a man, right. and therefore I can't do anything to approach unto him. Yes. That's why God had to become a man. Amen. Okay. That's a great point. Amen. Now, before we dive into that, I want to go back to the beginning of the chapter. Job chapter 9 and verse 2. I know it is so of a truth, but how should man be just with God? This sets the tone for the entire chapter, and essentially what he's doing is he's searching for something to hang his hat on. He's searching for something in the midst of the whole chapter to how can I be just with God? He had some type of belief way down deep in his soul that he believed it was so of a truth. He believed somehow he was going to be just before a holy God, but he saw how sinful he was in his own nature, right. and he didn't understand how it was possible. That's right. This is really in response to what Bildad brought up in the prior chapter, in Job chapter 8. And you may know in the first two chapters, Job endures these horrible calamities, and he loses his possessions, he loses his wealth, his business, so to say, and then his ten children pass away in a very tragic incident. And then in the second chapter, he loses his health and his his wife turns on him. But then the rest of the book is really this discourse between these three uh, miserable comforters that show up, Bildad, Zophar, and Eliphaz. And it's, it's really just almost a debate that they accuse him and then he defends himself and then that goes on for a while. And then uh, finally, a young man, Elihu, shows up and rebukes all of them. And then the Lord rebukes Job. Uh, and, and then uh, that, that pretty much gets you to Job 42. And then, Job, and then that's when everything you know, is resolved by the Lord. And he receives double of, of the Lord. But we're in this, this portion now where it's this, this back and forth discourse. And Bildad is, is accusing Job. Um, the constant theme with them accusing Job is essentially... You must have done some horrible, egregious, unrepentant sin, and God is just dropping the hammer on you. Because bad things don't happen to good people. If you were a good, godly man, this horrible things wouldn't be happening to you, and you need to get right with the Lord. You've done something horrible that you're trying to ignore, and you need to get right to the Lord. Now, I don't want to discount the fact that sometimes God does drop the hammer on us that's because right. of unrepentant that's sin. That's right. yeah. But the fact of the matter is we know that's not the case from the first chapter. That's right. Right. Yeah. But notice Bildad, what he says here, Job. Chapter 8, verse 2. How long wilt thou speak these things, and how long shall the words of thy mouth be like a strong wind? Doth God pervert judgment, or doth the Almighty pervert justice? And this is really what Job is answering in the next chapter because... He knows that God is not going to pervert his bar of justice. He's not going to lower his standard for anybody. Right. So knowing that fact, but then at the same time seeing the depth of his own sinfulness, how can I, a sinful man, be just before a holy God? Because I know he's not going to just look over or pass over my transgression because that would undermine the integrity of the eternal courtroom of God. Amen. Amen. And I'm sure you might probably get the same questions that I do. If you believe in sovereign grace, in election, 
in predestination and there's no possibility that that plan of salvation could ever fail, why did Jesus have to come and die? I'll tell you why. Because what Bildad said right here, the Lord is not going to pervert judgment and He's not going to pervert justice. The penalty had to be paid. But the difference is, among God's elect, it was paid in the person of Jesus Christ. He's not going to compromise the standard of His holiness or His law. Amen. You see, Job understands this. But he knows his own failings and inadequacies of of fulfilling that law. Bildad continues on, and you know this verse 4 was just a gut gut punch to... Job, if thy children have sinned against him, he hath cast them away for their transgression. I mean, this is a guy who just lost ten kids. And he says it's, it had to be because of their sin that this horrible thing happened. Well, Job understood the folly that his children might have. We actually find in uh, the first chapter that he made sacrifices continually for them just on the case that they were doing something like that. But then this grieving dad, and you tell him, it's because of their transgression that this happened to them. Let me tell you, bad things happen to good people. Yeah. Bad things happen to people who are living godly and upright right. lives because right. that is what we find of Job here. Yeah. That is just the effects of a sinful world Amen. that we live in Amen. and all of the side effects of it. That's right. Yeah. Bad things do happen to good people. Right. But Bill Dad so far in life as sure didn't think so. Verse 5, if thou wouldest seek unto God betimes and make thy supplications to the Almighty, if thou art pure and upright, surely now he would await for thee and make the habitation of thy righteousness prosperous. In other words, if you were as pure and as upright as you say you are, then he would take all these boils off your body. He would alleviate all this suffering that you're going through. That means that you must be living in unrepentant sin because that has not been removed. Let me tell you, that is an entirely skewed view of the calamities that God's children deal with in this world. Now, I don't want to discount the fact again, as I said before, that it could be because of your mistakes. But it sure enough isn't for us to look at someone else and point the finger at them and say that it is. I'll say this, if it is because of that, you're going to know about it. He told Jonah about it. (laughs) He didn't leave him in the dark. Oh, is this, am I just doing what I want to do? And this is just some, this is Satan's whale instead of God's whale. I mean, no, he knew (laughs) what he had done. So, so I'll say this, the Lord doesn't leave you in the dark Amen. if you're leaving it, if you're being punished because of disobedience. That's right. <laughs> Amen. So, because of that, Job begins to question in the ninth chapter. I know it is so of a truth, but how? How can it how can man be just with God? Now the logistics of justification are uh, kind of complicated, yeah. honestly. We're not going to go into three courtrooms and all that stuff tonight, but the fact of the matter is that we're, we're justified by the blood of Jesus Christ, by sovereign grace, by the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ on our behalf. That's how man is made just before God. But you have to understand that Job didn't know that. That's right. He didn't have the Scriptures that we have today. He was looking forward to the cross, whereas we can look backward to the cross. Now, there are some events in Genesis that predate Job, 
However, this is the first book right. that was written in the Bible. That's right. Because Moses penned the first five books of the Bible, and even though it's events that predate Job, Job was most likely a contemporary of Abraham, but he did not have access to all of the knowledge that we have here in the New Testament with the Scriptures and in the Gospel Kingdom. And I think Job really is a beautiful picture of the difference between the knowledge that God gives in the new birth and what we know by the exposition of the Scriptures. Because he believed in Job 19 that he had a Redeemer. But the difference is now we know that Redeemer's name. He believed it was so of a truth that he was going to be just, but he sure didn't know how. That's right, right. right, brother. We're going to look at some verses that even build out in life as they knew some stuff about original sin. They didn't understand the logistics about it by Adam that we know from Romans chapter 5 and such. But Job is feeling a burden because he sees his own depravity and corruption. And he says, how can somebody like me be just before a holy God? Now, before we look at his description of himself, I want to make sure that we don't uh, not consider the fact that he actually is an upright and a godly man. Yeah. Except that he just sees into the depths of the wickedness that's in his own soul. Mm-hmm. Job chapter 1, verse 1. There's a man in the land of us whose name was Job. The man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And that's good. That's a great commendation. But I want you to notice in verse 8, the Lord himself says the same thing. Yeah. To Satan, no less. Yeah. Job chapter 1, verse 8. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like unto him in all the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Now it's great to have a good reputation around, uh, among folks. You should. You should live in a godly way that people think highly of you. But can you imagine the Lord Himself giving you this commendation? Mm-hmm. He says, this is a man that is perfect, not sinless, but blameless, feared God and eschewed evil. And it's almost like Satan is looking for somebody to hone in on and drill down on. And do you realize that it was the Lord that volunteered Job? He had enough confidence in Job that he says, this is my number one prospect. You go after this guy... And he's going to show you up. <laughs> now, Job, Job kind of got a little bit full of himself in the, middle of the, in the middle of the book, and the Lord took care of that by rebuking him a little bit later. But for the Lord to offer you up as, as the number one target for Satan and call you, for the God of glory, to call you perfect and upright, the skewed evil, wow, what a commendation. Amen. But in spite of the godly disposition and righteous manner of living that he uh, engaged in, he had an unfiltered view into his sinful nature. And that is why he was in such a perplexed spirit. (laughs) 
How can somebody like me be just before God? And really, all of the Old Testament saints had this same question. And let's keep in mind the standard from James chapter 2 and verse 10 that if you are guilty of one point, you're guilty of the whole law. You cannot be 99% obedient, 1% disobedient, and be standard, be, be okay before God. Amen. If you, one offense makes you 100% guilty. Okay? And if you think that you might be able to stand up to the scrutiny of God's law, I want you to understand how drilled down we think about. I think sometimes we think the only people going to hell are people that have committed felonies. <laughs> right. People that have committed murder or arson or armed robbery. Right. But I want you to think about all of these, what we would consider small things that the Bible considers sin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All that's in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Lust and pride. Mm-hmm. Samuel told Saul, in 1 Samuel 15 and 23, that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as idolatry. You may say, there's no way I'd ever go perform witchcraft. You ever been stubborn? There's no way I would worship a graven image in my home. Well, have you ever rebelled against the will of God? Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Right. Romans 14. Hebrews 11, we're told, without faith it's impossible to please Him. And that's why. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever is not of faith is sin. You see, these are all sins of the heart. Yeah. That's right. And then, Proverbs 24 and verse 6. The thought of foolishness is sin. Mm-hmm. You ever had a, thought, a foolish thought? Oh, yeah. I'll answer that for you. Yes, you have. That's right. That's right. <laughs> So again, we think we we tend to think that it's all of these people that are committed these horrible external actions. Those are the folks that are going to be condemned before a holy God. Mm-hmm. But it's whatsoever is not a faith is sin, right. rebellion, yeah. stubbornness, pride, lust, the thought of foolishness. Yeah. That's the standard in God's courtroom. Yeah. And that is why Job understood that he could stand up to that scrutiny. And then keep all that in mind and realize that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. He never had a foolish thought. (laughs) Wow. But all of the Old Testament saints were really in this dilemma. Look at a small sample of those. Job chapter 15. This is Eliphaz speaking. Job 15 and verse 14, What is man that he should be clean, and he that is born of a woman that he should be righteous? They understood something about original sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They didn't, I bet they didn't know that they knew about original sin. <laughs> but they said, essentially, man, if I'm so sinful, how can a, a righteous kid come from me? <laughs> Verse, 14, verse 15, Behold, he putteth no trust in his saints. Yea, the heavens are not clean in the sight. How much more abominable and filthy is man which drinketh iniquity like water. Mm-hmm. How often do you have to have water? you got to have it every single day yeah. unless you're going to die. And he says, man in his nature drinks iniquity just like he drinks water. Amen. It is it <laughs> perpetually Amen. drinks iniquity. That's our nature. Yeah. Job 25. 
And verse four, this is Bildad speaking again, his third go round with Job. Verse four, how then can man be justified with God? How can he be clean that is born of a woman? Behold, even the moon and uh, behold, even to the moon and it shineth, yet the stars are not pure in his sight. How much less man that is a worm and the son of man which is a worm. In Psalm 130 and verse 3, he said, Lord, if you mark iniquities, who can stand? The rhetorical answer is nobody. In Psalm 143 and verse 2, in thy sight shall no flesh be justified. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 20, there is not a just man on the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Nobody. Psalm 39 and verse 5, every man in his best state is altogether vanity. We really have the same question in the New Testament too. Romans chapter 3. And I'm sure you know that this is the chapter that Paul quotes all these Old Testament quotations to describe the total corruption and the total depravity of man. And I know I've seen videos. It seems like they're always interviewing some people like college students in these videos, people that, from other denominations that are going and trying to save souls and such. And they ask him, if you, if you died today, would you go to heaven or go to hell? Oh, I, I believe I'd go to heaven. Why do you believe that you'd go to heaven? Because I'm a good person. Yeah. I would say the, the majority of the people, unless they're Southern Baptists and they know you've got to use the accept Christ buzzwords, <laughs> it, the majority of the rest of the folks are going to say, I'm a good person. And the Lord's going to let me into heaven because I'm a really good guy. Let me tell you, the Bible doesn't say that. <laughs> Romans 3, on the contrary, tells us, verse 10, There is none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all going out of the way. They're together becoming profitable. There's none that doeth good. And just in case you think there's an exception to that, no, not one. Amen. Yeah. Let me tell you, if you think that you can stand before God and be declared just, because you're a good person, the Bible says you are going to be very surprised at that verdict. Because in verse 19 we find that 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 verdict is going to be guilty. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law. That every mouth may be stopped and that all the world may become guilty before God. And then this is summarized in verse 20. Therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. It's just as simple as that. It doesn't matter what, try, what work you try to place in there, if it's the work of baptism, acceptance, belief, etc., etc., by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Because here's the thing. Even if you did that one thing right, all the other stuff that you messed up nullifies that one good thing you did. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So one offense makes you 100% guilty. Right. It doesn't matter what other millions of things you did right. One yeah. offense makes you 100% guilty. Right. You see? This is the climax that the Apostle Paul reaches in Romans chapter 7. He's feeling the effects of that warfare inside. The good that I want to do, I 
don't do it like I want to. The bad stuff that I don't want to do, I keep on doing it. And just that that conflict and that warfare, he says in verse 23, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. Bring me into captivity the law of sin which is in my members. And this is the this is the culmination of all of this struggle that is really the same culmination that Job reaches. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I'm such a wretched man in my nature. What possible hope do I have to be delivered from the body of this death? Now here's the difference. That is where Job ended his chapter. He didn't know verse 25. Verse 25 gives us the answer that Job's looking for. I know it's so of a truth. I know somehow I'm going to stand just before a holy God, but I can't see in the wretchedness of myself how that's going to be true. And Paul says, I thank God through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the Gospel right there. And there are so many children of God that only get to verse 24, but they don't know anything about verse 25. They feel that burden that Job has. Mm -hmm. I know somehow, I got a hope. But I can't give you a good reason why I got a hope. I know that I'm going to be just before God somehow, but I don't know how. Oh, wretched man that I am. I've heard some people say that they want to get Take wretch out of amazing grace. I want to tell you, grace is not amazing if you don't think you're a wretch. If you don't think that there is a reason that God's unmerited favor had to be bestowed upon you, grace doesn't mean a whole lot. But I tell you, when you get to the point that, that Paul did, that Job did, well, can you imagine when Job actually showed up into heaven and he met his daysman face to face? Man, his whole life he was seeking for that answer. But do you know that what he was looking for that he didn't get this side of glory? Right. This is what we have today. Amen. Amen. That's right. Man. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Verse 24 is where Job ended up. But verse 25 is the message of the gospel that we can relish in today. Mm-hmm. And we can see that we have a daysman. Right. Let's go back to Job chapter 9. So then, after he questions, I know it's so of a truth, but how can a man be just before God? He's almost going crossing things off his list through the rest of the chapter. He's seeking for something. He's seeking for some avenue that I can be just before God. But he's seeking, initially, uh, to find some means in and of himself that he can be just before God. And unfortunately, everything is futile. We're going to skip a lot of these verses for time's sake. Verse 19, Job 9. If I, speak of sp- uh, if I speak of strength, lo, he is strong. If I speak of judgment, who shall set a time to plead? In other words, if I think that I have confidence in my own strength before God, it doesn't matter how physically strong you are, how spiritually strong you are. That is still weakness in comparison to the strength Amen. of God. Amen. He says... Um, I speak of strength, lo, he is strong. He's so strong that any weakness, any strength that I have is just utter weakness and frailty. And then he says, is it of judgment? Who shall set a time to plead? 
If I think that I can, I can, uh, we've got some attorneys in the room. If I think that I can craft a good enough argument to convince the judge that I should be acquitted, even if that was the case, I can't even get an audience before him. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> even if I had a good, even if I had a good argument, I can't even present it to him. If I justify myself, mine own mouth shall condemn me. And if I say I am perfect, it shall also prove me perverse. If I have a belief that I am a perfect and an upright person in my own nature, essentially Job says, sooner or later, sooner or later my mouth's going to get me. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My own mouth is going to condemn me. James chapter 3 talks about the tongue and how no man can tame it. And again, think about that, that no man can tame that tongue, but yet Jesus Christ never had a stray word that he had to take back. So that he says something. I'm sure y'all have had these moments too. That it's at the point where you can't take it back is when it clicks that I should have never said that. And you can't get it. <laughs> you can't catch it. No. That's right. No way. And Job says, if I think that I can justify myself, sooner or later my mouth's going to condemn me. Right. And you know what? Even if I keep my mouth in check, he says, though I were perfect, yet I would not know my own soul, I would despise my life. Even if I keep these external actions yeah. of sin to a minimum, that still doesn't change the corruption that's in my own soul. And that's really the problem with man. We, the, a lot of people think that you can just hinder some external activity and make, make folks good people. That's the symptom. That's not the cause. The problem is inevitably a problem of the heart. It's a problem of the soul. And he says, even if I think that I'm perfect, kind of like the Pharisees, boy, they shined up the outside of that cup to where it looked really good. But what was inside that cup? Different analogy, but whitened sepulchers, uh, dead men's bones bones inside. It looked really good on the outside, but what was on the inside is what corrupted it. And Job says, even if I have... Now, keep in mind, this is a man that God himself called perfect and upright. Mm -hmm. But he still sees the wretchedness of the carnal old man. Mm -hmm. So you see, he's just going through and man, I don't have, I can't have confidence in anything. Verse 27, if I say, I will forget my complaint, I will leave off my heaviness and comfort myself. I am afraid of all my sorrows and I know that thou wilt not hold me innocent. The end result of me trying to justify myself before you, he says, is only going to be sorrow. And furthermore, I know what the verdict's going to be. He said in verse 28, I know that thou wilt not hold me innocent. Mm -hmm. And the song, Show Pity Lord, there's a line in there Mm -hmm. that says, and if my soul were sent to hell... Thy righteous law approves it well. Amen. Now I want to ask you, would you, do you see yourself in that condition that you would say that God was righteous if He sent you to hell? I do. Amen. Job did. That's right. Paul did. That's right. And that's why he said, Oh wretched man that I am. 
And I'll tell you, when you get to the end of your rope like that, when you get to the end of yourself and you see that even the best action that I could present to God is altogether vanity in His sight. And if I was left to myself before a holy God, I know that it would be guilty and I would be condemned and banished from the presence of God in the lake of fire for all of eternity. That is when the free and sovereign unmerited grace of God is amazing in your sight. Let me tell you what. But I tell you, if you walk around thinking you're a pretty good guy and the Lord's going to let you in because He wants some more good guys like you in heaven. No way. No way. Grace doesn't mean much to you. But I tell you, when you get to the end of your rope like Paul did in Romans 7, and I don't know if you've ever got to these, these points, it just seems like every single action that you've committed in the last week, month, year, just all is on you at like one single moment. Those Romans 7.24 moments. When the only thing you can say is, oh, wretched man that I am. Now the question is, at that point, what do you place your confidence in? Amen. And Job was looking for something. Right. <laughs> he was looking for something to place his confidence in, but he was striking out. Yeah. Because he didn't know what was in that 25th verse in Romans 7, That's okay? Right. Oh, yeah. mm. It's Jesus Christ. The imputed righteousness of Christ. Amen. <clears throat> if I be wicked, why labor I in vain? <laughs> so then he's feeling the, the depth of his own depravity. Yeah. And if I'm just so wicked... Then he's almost saying, man, why do I even try? Yeah. If, I'm, if I'm really this wicked and corrupt, why am I even putting forth all this effort? Why am I laboring in vain if I can't even fix this corruption that I am? If I wash myself with water and make my hands never so clean, yet shall thou plunge me in the ditch and my own clothes shall abhor me. Mm-hmm. He's speaking figuratively, but... He's saying, I see myself as so unclean that it doesn't matter how much water I wash myself. I can't wash this uncleanness off of me. Right. And it's almost like he feels sorry for his clothes. <laughs> he says, mine own, you know, you, you know, you wash clothes and you want them to be nice and pretty. And he's like, man, I feel sorry. My, my clothes are going to hate having to be on such an unclean person like me. My clothes are going to hate abhor me. <laughs> I feel to be so unclean. And then finally he says in verse 32, He is not a man as I am that I, shall, that I should answer him. And he should come together in judgment. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. He says, in, in spite of my inability to justify myself in spite of all of these problems, the biggest problem is God's not a man. And I can't even approach unto Him. And He sees the need for somebody to reconcile these two parties. He sees the need to place one hand upon God and one hand upon man, but He doesn't see anybody that fits that bill. There's no man that can approach unto God. And why in the world would God condescend to become a man? That's why Jesus Christ is not just the Son of God. He's the Son of Man. Because He can place His hand on both parties. 
He's not a, Job's looking for a man, but he can't see anybody. Right. But the New Testament tells us in 1 Timothy 2 and 5, Amen. 1 Timothy 2 and 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, notice the language, the man, Christ Amen. Jesus. Right. Yeah. Job was looking for a man, but he couldn't find anybody. Yeah. And that's why God had to become man. The God-man. And I hope that you see it. I hope you see the imagery that's painted here of this daysman that places one hand upon God and one hand upon man. And that is exactly what happened on the cross for six hours. He was suspended between heaven and earth with one hand upon God and one hand upon man and made reconciliation between those two parties. A mediator that reconciled the division and the divide between those two offended parties. Yeah. And it, that's why it took God becoming a man because that's the only man that could, that's the only person that could yeah. place his hand on both parties. I love the imagery that Job says here. There is not a daysman betwixt us. And I like that King James language too. I don't know, I don't know about y'all, but I like those betwixtas in the, in the KJV. Yeah. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. Man, that's good. Amen. Now, I want you to open up in your hymnal to number three. Our daysman. In uh, First John or, or in John chapter five, there was a time when the angel would come and trouble up uh, the pool there, and there was a lame man that he was lame, obviously, so he couldn't get into the water, but he didn't have any man to bring him into the water. And I think the language that he uses there is is really significant. Jesus asked him, "Why don't you just hop in the water?" <laughs> And he said, Sir, I have no man. That's exactly how Job felt right here. He said, I know I need a man. Because <laughs> God's not a man. I know I need somebody to bridge the gap. And it's almost like Job is like that, that crippled man who says, I have no man. But just like Jesus healed that lame man, and just like the message of the Gospel that we have, I want to tell you, you have a man. Amen. You have a daysman. A daysman that can place his hand on both parties. Okay, our daysman. Verse first. There is one mediator between the Lord and men. Christ Jesus was our daysman. Our sins were laid on Him. Wounded for our transgressions and chastised for our peace. Yet God was pleased to bruise Him for our iniquities. Or Kidron's bloody river... The Lamb crossed o'er to pray. Thy will not bind be done, Lord, O hear the Savior say. Soon with the sun's light darkened, the daysman would begin to bear God's wrath upon him and make an end of sin. He stood when we were fallen, paid what we could not pay. His life made intercession and bore our sins away. With final breaths approaching, he cried aloud that day. His death then sealed our pardon. He triumphed o'er the grave. Now notice this language in the chorus. With one hand on the heavens and one hand on the earth, He satisfied the wrath of God. Our daysmen stood for us. Mm -hmm. Wow. Praise God. Amen. <laughs> Amen. 
That is such beautiful poetry, but it's even better scripture. Amen. Amen. Now there's a whole bunch of verses in the New Testament that talk about this, but we're just going to look at one to summarize. You see, Job was looking for how he could be made just before God. And the answer is by the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't know much about the Articles of Faith in Alabama, but in Mississippi, there's usually one of them that's all by itself that says, we believe that sinners are only justified by God by the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen. Mm-hmm. And that comes from 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. Amen. For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And again, the imagery there is just so rich that we're wearing these unclean, filthy rags as our righteousness and He's wearing this pure, white, spotless robe of righteousness. And then, it's as if that robe was taken off of Him and placed upon us. And that's why in Revelation we're presented we're uh, depicted as having white linen, which is the righteousness of the saints. The righteousness of Jesus Christ was placed, taken off of Him and placed upon us. And our filthy rags were placed upon Him. And He suffered the penalty of God's bar of justice, which was death. He made reconciliation for the sins of His people. That's why it behooved Him to become a man. From Hebrews chapter 2, that He might be a faithful high priest to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. You see, Job was searching. Job was searching for something to place his confidence in. Job was searching for that daysman. But he didn't find him until he got to heaven. But let me tell you, for some reason, and I don't know why, I don't know why I was born when I was born and the family I was born in. And there's so many children of God like Job that have walked around their entire life that they had a hope, but man, they didn't, have, they didn't know where to channel that. Yeah, right, and for some reason, I was born into a preacher's family and, and just exposed to the truth my entire life and born into America. I mean, I can just go on and on. I just don't know... I don't know why I had so much access to the message of the Gospel that people like Job were searching for the whole time. They're looking for a daysman. And I heard about that daysman for a long time and really didn't care that much. Don't ever take for granted the message of the Gospel that we have. Because I'll tell you, there's a lot of children of God that are in Job's predicament. A lot of children of God that only get to the 24th verse in Romans 7. And they don't know anything about verse 25. About Jesus Christ as their daysman. I'm so thankful for the message of the Gospel. I'm so thankful for... He said the end result in his condition, not having the knowledge that he had, it's only sorrow and burden and tribulation. And that's what Peter said in Acts 15. Look, you were never intended 
to bear this burden, That's this right. yoke around your right. neck. Right. You were you were never intended to think that you can stand before a holy God and be righteous. Right. That is a burden. And, and he says, you're not able to bear it. Your fathers weren't able to bear it. And none of you were ever supposed to bear it. Right. Amen. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. Amen. But just like Peter said, but we believe that they, the Gentiles, shall be saved by grace, even as we. Thank you. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.